Thank you so much. What a wonderful privilege it is to hear such beautiful music, a great hymn text that we know well. I know the musicians had a very busy weekend and they still got up early, I'm sure, Monday morning for band rehearsal, string rehearsal, and look what we have here this morning. Thank you so much for that wonderful number melody and strings group. It's great to see you. I really miss seeing you. So thankful for each of you. It's wonderful to be back with you here this morning. And it has been a little bit of a whirlwind month for me, for sure. I've been literally all over the place. I was thinking the last, the last four Sundays, I've been in four different wonderful ministries across the country, two of them in the great state of Indiana, one in Virginia, and then uh, this Sunday I was in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I was at a couple camps. I was up at Northland Camp. I was at the Edge Camp. I was at a couple conferences, and so it's been a busy, busy month, but I was looking forward to January 30th because this was the day that I knew I would be able to come back and uh, preach to you in chapel, and I'm very, very thankful for this opportunity I hope that you will continue to pray for me and my family. As some of you know, we have a, quite a bit going on, not only in our life and ministry, but um, we have quite a bit going on in our family as well. You probably are aware that I have two daughters now that are engaged, and uh, both of them will be married uh, within the next six months. Please pray for me that God will provide my needs. Amen. No, we, uh, we've been preparing. I mean, I've known for years I have four daughters. So obviously, savings, savings account has been trying to be built up over the years. And uh, it's going to happen really quick. Megan gets married in March, and uh, Madison gets married in June, and it's hard to believe. Then I still got Morgan and Meredith. They're not getting married yet, okay? Tr trust me, they're not. They're only 14 and 13, okay? But I'm so thankful for all of that is happening in our family. We, we know the Lord is leading and God is sovereign in all these things. And it's just a privilege to serve the Lord as we continue to do his work. And we humbly serve wherever he calls us to go. And I'm so thankful for the, the, the fact that God has called me into the ministry. Paul told Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus my Lord that he has enabled me and counted me faithful putting me in the ministry. And I'm so thankful that I get to go to many, many different places. And I hate to tell you this, but on this weekend, I'm going to Phoenix, Arizona, okay? So don't feel sorry for me. It will be nice and warm down there, I'm sure. I'll be down there uh, for a few days to preach at a church and also at a conference there as well. And uh, so I hope that uh, you'll continue to pray for me. Some of you follow on Facebook and you see kind of where I'm going. And that's kind of one of the reasons I post is so that People can know and see the ministry that, that we're doing and also pray that God continues to keep us safe and most of all that God's word would continue to run quickly and swiftly to the hearts of people. I'm so thankful this last weekend I was at Northland Camp and was ministering with a good friend of ours. Most of you know him, Mr. Tyler Juvenile. And he is now the program director at, uh, at, camp, at Northland Camp and we had a great snow retreat. We also, I was able to minister to the 25, I believe, uh, foreign students, exchange students that are actually living on, in the boarding school there at the Northland campus. And I had wonderful conversations with several of those students that are from Ethiopia, some from, uh, one was from Afghanistan, quite a few of them from Chile and Colombia. And so it was a privilege to share the gospel and, and to see the Lord starting to open the eyes 
of these blinded young people who have come from foreign countries that are, that are really steeped in false religion. And so God is doing a great work. If you're glad to be a part of God's kingdom, say amen. Now, I also know that over the weekend, probably some of you were thinking about me because we do have a pretty good football team that I cheer for. And uh, you probably thought, oh, Brother Herbster is probably really happy about this. Well, as I was uh, actually recording the game on Sunday um, and just waiting and waiting to watch the game, and I knew it had already occurred, but I did not look at my devices. I did not look, uh, uh, didn't want anybody to talk to me. And yes, I am from the chief's kingdom, that's for sure, but I'm so glad there's something higher to live for. Somebody say amen, please. And I'm frankly tired of uh, seeing Taylor Swift on all the, on the things. Okay, anyways. All right, take your Bibles. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. As I was really battling in my heart about what particular message the Lord would have me to bring to you this morning, as I knew I was coming uh, this Tuesday to the Maranatha Chapel, I actually had two particular texts, two places that I really struggled with which one to share with you today. And I will tell you that the first one was in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where the Bible says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. And I was going to really preach a message on what does it mean to be a part of the, the great task of declaring the gospel and really continue what God has, uh, what God planned and what God started and what God is going to finish in, in this world, to be a part of the grand story of the gospel. And, and that was one of those messages that was kind of burning in my heart. And I was, I actually had both of them on the table a couple of days ago and I was looking at the text and the Lord just directed me to a very similar type of, of theme that we see here in 1 Peter chapter 2 because in one text we are told to be ambassadors and in this text we are told that we are to be pilgrims and strangers. I've titled the message this morning, The Pilgrim's Character. The Pilgrim's Character. Now, as I have had the privilege of traveling all across the world, there are many times where I feel out of place. There are many places where I actually am a foreigner. I remember the first time I got off the airplane on the continent of Africa, talking about a, a staggering sight to behold. I was landing in Entebbe, Uganda, for my first mission trip that I went to Africa. And if you've ever been on a mission trip like this, already you feel like a foreigner on the airplane. But when you get off the airplane and you are immediately confronted with the fact that you don't fit in there, that's not where you belong. That's not your home. You know, when you are a foreigner, first of all, you obviously recognize you don't fit in. When you're a foreigner, there's a lot of things that the citizens are doing that you're not doing. Now, I have to tell you, in Africa, one of the things I notice is when, when they are carrying anything heavy, they carry it on their head. I saw this in Uganda. I saw this in Cameroon. And guess what? You're never going to find Brother Mark carrying anything heavy on his head. I'm a foreigner. I never learned how to do that. I'm not a citizen there. You see, when you are 
a stranger or a foreigner or as the text says here, a pilgrim, then you don't fit in and you don't do what everybody else does and you actually are constantly longing for home. You are always longing to go home. And for me, most of the time when I'm away for several weeks, I was looking just at my Facebook feed and the memories and one year ago today, my wife and I were in India and, and the entire time we're having a great time. We're loving ministry, but you know what? We're, there's always just this pull that says, you know what? I can't wait to see my kids again. I can't wait to, to live in my own house, sleep in my own bed, get back home. There's always this longing. There's this longing to be where we belong. And this is kind of the theme that Peter is bringing to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11, where he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. And we know as we, uh, as we studied even here in chapel in the last several years, we, at one point we studied through the whole book of 1 Peter and we know that one of the themes is, uh, is approaching the people of God like they don't belong, like they're citizens of heaven, not citizens of this earth. And we see that in chapter one, verse one, and chapter one, verse 17, and all of these kinds of, of statements about the fact that, that we are God's people living in an imperial province called the earth, and this world really is not where we belong. And one of the great things about this training institution, Maranatha Baptist University, is that it is uniquely situated and uniquely formulated in its programs, in its philosophy, in the preaching, in all of the things that are happening here to make sure that you understand we know you're different. We know you're a citizen of heaven. We know we, we want you to go out into the world and not be a, a partner with the world, but a pilgrim in the world. We, we want you to stand for God. We want you to, to not be an enemy of God by becoming a friend of the world. But, and so in a sense, we as believers are foreigners. We don't fit in. We long for home. We look for a city whose builder and maker is God. And we don't do all of the things that everyone else in the pagan world and the unsaved world does because we are pilgrims and strangers. Now, in the following verses of 1 Peter chapter 2, I believe that Peter addresses the people of God after he's declared to them their standing as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. In verse 9, he transitions into, if this is your standing and you belong to God and you are a part of his kingdom, then how shall you live? How should you live in the world around you. And this is something that we need to hear as well because it's progressively getting harder and harder to stand for God in this wicked world that is aggressive against us. And so Peter is challenging us to be faithful and focused pilgrims. This is the theme of the message. Every one of us needs to be a faithful and focused Pilgrim, And in order to be a faithful and focused pilgrim, we must acknowledge and apply in our lives three basic characteristics, three basic characteristics that we see here. And for most of us, I, I would submit that maybe for all of us, these basic characteristics are review. 
their review to us. We, we know this is supposed to be the way we are. We know this is the kind of characteristics that should be describing our lives. But we need to be reminded that we're pilgrims and strangers in this world. And maybe this morning you're discouraged. Maybe you're down. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe it's flat-out despair because when you look around and you see the corruption, when you, when you see the tests and temptations that are coming even into your personal life, that you're discouraged and you're like, man, I just don't feel like I fit. I just don't feel like anything is happening. Listen, this is exactly the way the people of God were feeling when Peter was writing. They were scattered. They were persecuted. They were struggling And they needed to be reminded, and so do we. Let's notice, first of all, as we continue reading, starting in verse 11, let's notice the first characteristic, the first basic characteristic is, number one, the pilgrim's separation. The pilgrim's separation. And the key word that gives us this idea of separation is given in verse 11. It is the word abstain. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as pilgrims and, or strangers and pilgrims, clearly showing that we don't belong, we're foreigners, pilgrims and strangers, he says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. This is, this is a, an immediate statement to us that one of the things that should be a, a characteristic of us as believers living in this this culture that is wicked and unholy, is that there should be a choice that we personally make to hold off ourselves and abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. It's interesting that this terminology, this infinitive here, is a present tense middle voice infinitive, which literally could be translated, continually be holding off yourself from fleshly lusts. What this tells me is that our personal commitment to separation, it is an act of our will. It is a choice that we make. You choose to abstain from fleshly lusts. This word lust is referring to a strong desires or cravings, the sinful cravings and desires of our heart. Whether these are good or bad, the word lust is referring to those internal cravings. In the New Testament, it it simply refers to sinful, typically refers to sinful desires. And definitely here, he's describing the sinful desires of the world that are pushing on us and pulling on us. And it, it must be a pilgrim mindset. And a pilgrim mindset is a direct decision for each of us to forcefully choose to abstain from those fleshly lusts. First Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. First Thessalonians 5 verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. This is a word that is a strong a confrontational word that helps us to see that we're not supposed to flirt with the world and follow the ways of the world, the fleshly lusts of the world, but we should be holding it off. We should be personally choosing from the inside, from the internal lusts that are, that are plaguing us in our soul. We should be choosing every day to say no to those fleshly lusts, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
It is an act of our will to separate. Listen, I'm so thankful that this is a separatist institution, but you know what? A separatist institution needs to be made up of people that are committed to separation. Personal holiness, personal separation, and it starts in the, uh, in the inner man. It starts in our heart. It starts in our soul to purposefully decide, I'm not gonna allow the lusts of my flesh, the lusts of the world to be pulling me into being a friend of the world. You see, we are to be a focused and faithful pilgrim. And that demands separation. Separation is an act of the will, but secondly, separation is an act of war. It is an act of war. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. Look at this. This is strong language from Peter. He says, they war. They war. Literally, this idea has the idea of a strategic battlefront. A, a strategy to take you down. James 4, verse 1, from whence come wars and fightings? Come they not hence even of your own lust? It's an attitude, this ad, idea of war is an attitude of enmity, an active hostility. It is not necessarily a figure of hand-to-hand -hand battle, but rather an organized military strategy to pull you into the ways of the world. Oh, surely we recognize this morning as Bible-believing Christians, surely we are humble enough and honest enough to admit that there is a real struggle. Surely you know your own weakness. Surely you understand how hard it is. Surely you know the propensities of the lusts of your own flesh and how how easy it is for you to give in to the sin and allow the enemy to have its way in your life. There is a war going on. It is a war for your heart. It is a war for your soul. It is a war for your future. It is a war for your relationships. It is a war for, for you as a citizen of heaven. And the enemies are all around us in, in this act of separation. When we choose to separate from the world, and we choose to separate from the fleshly lust which war against our soul, then, then, then it, is, it is an act of war. We are saying, God, I want to be on your side and praise the Lord. We're on the winning side. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And I want to challenge you this morning, young people, students, that you would, that you would continue to pursue an active and aggressive commitment to biblical holiness separation from the world, separation internally and externally and personally in your life, that you would realize this must be a part of your life because you're a pilgrim and you are not supposed to fit in. You're supposed to fight against this conformity, the conformity of the world. So question this morning, how worldly are we becoming? Are we progressively on this journey as a pilgrim to the promised land, to the heavenly city, or, or are we friends of the world? Or are we becoming just like everybody else? Think about some of these questions. What bothers us more, missing a worship service at church or missing the ball game? What bothers us more, the sermon going too long or lunch being late? What bothers us more, church not growing or my bank account not growing? 
What bothers us more, following all my friends on Facebook and not being able to follow them like I should? Or what about the millions of people around the world that need Jesus Christ? And, and we can ask questions like this to, to make sure that, we're, that we have not become friends of the world, but, but that we are separated from the world and that we have eyes for heaven. And as Titus tells us, we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, there is no doubt about it in the scripture that one of the characteristics of a true citizen of heaven who's a pilgrim and a stranger, a foreigner in this land, is they have an aggressive commitment to separation. Abstain, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. I wanna challenge you, just because you're in a good institution, just because you have a lot of good relationships and a lot of good structure and discipline on your life does not mean that you have personally made this your commitment. I want to challenge you to make that a commitment. Why? Because you need to be a faithful pilgrim. A faithful and focused pilgrim is committed to separation, the pilgrim's separation. Notice number two, as we continue to read in this text, notice number two, the pilgrim's Sincerity, the pilgrim's sincerity. Not only is there a separation, but there's a sincerity. And I do believe that this is on purpose that he talks about the internal struggles, the internal warfare that is going on, and now the external ramifications that happen in our behavior, in our conduct, as a result of the internal decisions we are making. This is something we see all throughout the scripture. That your behavior on the outside is always a reflection of what's truly going on on the inside. And so he's building on verse 11 when he says this in verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Verse 12 is clearly talking about the way a Christian should live, a pilgrim should live in an honest, sincere moral way so that the world can see our activities. It's interesting that this is the same idea we see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see, that they may see your good works. That word good there is the same word that's used here in this text. Your, your, your honest conversation, your high level, high quality, good quality conduct that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And, and what we see here is that our sincerity as being a pilgrim is always shown, it's exemplified in our actions of life. Philippians 1.27 says we should have actions, literally conversation, that further the gospel. Listen to this. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. All of our actions should be furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12 tells us that all of our actions, sincere actions as a pilgrim, should be an example for others to follow. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation. There it is. In charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Hebrews 13, verse 5 teaches us that we should have actions that are done with a right, proper motive. Let your conversation, he says in Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness. We need to have right motives. We need to do it for the right reason. James 3, verse 13 tells us that we need to have actions 
and behaviors that are done with the right spirit towards other people. Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. There is no doubt that right here in this text and in many other places, the word conversation is used to help us to see that every action we do Every choice we make in our behaviors is an opportunity to showcase that we're real. That we really are pilgrims. That we really are Christians. So this sincerity is seen in our actions. Secondly, it is also seen by those who are accusing us. It is seen by those who are accusing us. So sincerity is exemplified in our actions, but it is exposed to those, it is shown to those who are accusing us. It says, they shall behold close personal scrutiny of eyewitnesses of our conduct and our behavior. And even in this time period, they were being accused of being disloyal to government. They were being accused of insurrection. They were being accused of all kinds of, of things against the people of God. And, and so will, such will be the case for us today. That when we do what is right, sometimes we are falsely accused. It is important that we make sure that it's always a false accusation. But when we do what is right and we live in this kind of sincere pilgrimage, not only will it be seen by those who accuse us, but But this text also tells us that our behaviors can be a part of evangelizing the world. Look how he says this to us at the end of verse 12. He says, which they shall behold and glorify God in the day of visitation. There is some debate about this day of visitation. I personally have become convinced because there is no definite article here and for other reasons as well that the day of visitation is the day that these people, their eyes are opened the day of their own blessing, the day of their own salvation. And the stories could be told of people who used to accuse Christians, people who even threw Christians in the prison, people who even persecuted Christians. Think about the Apostle Paul. And they were reviling and accusing and falsely uh, condemning Christians. And then their eyes are open to the gospel. and, And because of the sincerity of that pilgrim, now they have the ability to glorify God in the day of their own salvation. So when we live the life sincerely, when the words come out, when the actions come out, when the lifestyle choices we make are showcasing to the world that Christianity is real, it is a part of the way we evangelize this lost and dying world. And what a privilege it is to live a life that is just sincere and honest before the world. And I want to encourage you, don't be ashamed. Stand for God, be separated, and be sincere. And allow them to see your sincere and honest conversation and have these kinds of activities that are showing up in your life. All right, let's notice number three. There's a third characteristic. We must be faithful pilgrims, focused pilgrims, separated, sincere, and then number three, submissive, submissive. And there's a lot that could be said here about our relationship to all of the authorities in our life, but there is a specific application here to 
the way we interact with the government, the way we interact in the culture. He says, verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may, be, may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. And then he restates this submissiveness, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. And really there's an entire message that could be preached on how we are to be engaging with, with our leaders. One of the ministries that I'm actually partaking of uh, is a ministry where I get to go to Washington, D.C., and I get to meet quite a few of our uh, elected officials And it's really a privilege for us to show respect and show honor, to pray with them, to build relationships with them. And and, and to be honest with you, there's many of them that actually do fear God. That's really wonderful. And we should be praying for them. We should be supporting them. We should be submissive to uh, these leaders. And I do think that the specific application here of submission is how we engage with even our government and and the expectations of our government. And I know we're in an election year and we do have the privilege to vote and we should. We should pray that God gives us good leadership. But even when we don't have good leadership, think about the people here living under the dictator Nero. He's still telling them you need to honor the king. He's still saying you respect them. As Romans 13 tells us, let every soul be subject unto the higher power. And part of the way that we showcase that this isn't where we belong is that while we're here, we're good citizens. We're good citizens of the earth, but our eyes are always on home. Our eyes are always on heaven where we belong. So just quickly, you see the rule of submission. Let me just give you this. You see the rule of submission. There's a particular general rule given and some specific rules of submission given here. Secondly, you see the reason for submission. And this is interesting because you see this in every area of personal submission to authority that we're always submitting to authority for the Lord's sake, verse 13. For it's the will of God, verse 15. So the reason we submit is because God calls us to this. And then you see the results of submission in verses 15 to 16. Foolish men are silenced. Free men are surrendered and serving. And we see that, uh, that, that when we submit in this way, God blesses us. And then in verse 17, I hinted at this, there's, there's a restatement of this submission. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, or literally love the church, fear God, and honor the king. And so we see in this, in this wonderful text that God is calling us to be the kind of pilgrims we should be, a pilgrim that is separated from the world, a pilgrim that is sincere as they live in the world, and, and a pilgrim that is submissive to the authorities that God has placed in their life But all along, we must be reminded that we don't belong. That this, as the old gospel songwriter said, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. All of us are familiar with the great story that has been translated in hundreds of different languages that many say next to the Bible is the most impactful book that has ever been written and it's called Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress. From this world to the next world is literally the idea of of Bunyan's, uh, Bunyan's writing there. That was part of the title, living from this world going to the next world. 
And shortly after Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he also formulated this hymn text, this poem that was inserted later on a few years after the original writing. It's, it's a pilgrim's hymn. Be, to be a pilgrim is the title of the hymn. And this is a powerful text that reminds us of what 1 Peter chapter 2 is teaching us. Bunyan said this, Who would true valor see? Let him come hither. One here will constant be. Come wind, come weather. There's no discouragement shall make him once relent his first avowed intent to be a pilgrim. Whoso beset him round with dismal stories do but themselves confound. His strength the more is. No lion can him fright. He'll with a giant fight. He will have a right to be a pilgrim. Hobgoblin nor foul fiend can daunt his spirit. He knows he at the end shall life inherit. Then fancies fly away. He'll fear not what men say. He'll labor night and day to be a pilgrim. And in Pilgrim's Progress, the very end of the story, here's what Bunyan said. Now, while they were thus drawing towards the gate, behold, a company of the heavenly host came out to meet them. To whom it was said by the other two shining ones, these are the men that have loved our Lord when they were in the world and that have left all for his holy name. And he hath sent us to fetch them and we have brought them thus far on their desired journey that they may go in and look their redeemer in the face with joy. And as those pilgrims stood at the celestial city, and we read a story like that, and it reminds us of what is in our future and what is the goal, that we don't belong here. Hebrews 11, verse 13 says, These all died in faith, and having received the promises, but have, having not, not receiving the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them, and they confessed, Hebrews chapter 11, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I am exhorting you to look at your life in this way. You're on a journey. You don't belong. Separate, be sincere, be submissive, and I beseech you, dearly beloved, as strangers and pilgrims, that you would be a faithful and focused pilgrim. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, thank you so much for each student here. Thank you for the maturity you're bringing to their lives, the growth that you're see we're seeing in their spiritual development, the growth in their knowledge and academics, but Lord, we are all fully aware that it's really going to be a waste if we don't claim this title. We're pilgrims. We're strangers. We're foreigners. Oh Lord, give us eyes to see that the real home is not here. Give us eyes of faith to live the journey day by day as we abstain from fleshly lusts, as we 
have an honest and good conversation in front of a lost and dying world, as we seek to influence and submit and honor even wicked government, that you would make us the kind of stranger and pilgrim in this world that, that you long for us to be. And Lord, by your grace, I pray that our testimony and our pilgrimage will be one that others can follow. Please be with the students today. I pray that you would help them to gladly and joyfully claim this title of pilgrim. And that someday, just as we see in Pilgrim's Progress, someday we will also cross the river. Oh Lord, we long for that day. We pray that it will be soon. Give us eyes to see Jesus is coming again. Thank you so much for speaking to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.